You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. And today we're going to be talking with my Sportsman's Empire brother, Garrett Prawl. And on this podcast in particular, actually in this season so far, in November, I think it was like seven or so days apart, he connected on two deer in different states on public land. And the whole point of this podcast is same or different. What was the same about those hunts? What was different about those hunts? We talk about the terrain comparison. We talk about the time of year comparison. We talk about what these deer were doing in the rut. And we compare that. We compare the weather. We compare the terrain and all that good stuff. So it's a... It's a, just a, a different approach to a podcast. It's short, it's sweet, it's only about 30 minutes long, and so it's easily consumed, and I think you guys are going to actually be able to get something out of it, which I feel is uh, is a good thing. So, short, sweet, to the point, same but different. All right, before we get into this podcast, though, we got to talk about the uh, people that pay me, and uh, they pay me because I put out great content, in my opinion. And those companies are Tethered, Wasp, HuntStand, and Vortex. Now, I'm going to go backwards. I usually go Tethered, Wasp, HuntStand, Vortex because it's on my list in front of me. But I'm going to go backwards. I'm going to go Vortex, HuntStand, Wasp, Tethered. And I'm going to go get also short, sweet, to the point. If you're looking for a badass pair of binoculars, rifle scopes, spotting scopes, range finders, specifically the Crossfire HD 1400, and then uh, 
um, uh, red dots or anything really uh, when it comes to optics, go check out vortexoptics.com. They have a superior, I'm, I'm thinking of another fancy word that I is probably over my own head, but superior uh, optics. And not only do they have awesome optics and they have this thing called the VIP warranty. And that means if you beat the shit out of your equipment, you break it, you smash it, uh, you send it back into them, they will fix it, repair it for free, and then send it back to you. Why? Because they want end users to stay Vortex customers. And uh, that's the that's that's the whole Vortex motto, man. And so not only that, they have excellent customer service. So if you're looking for an awesome pair of optics, go check out vortexoptics.com. Hunt stand, right? And so as we get into the late season here, things are going to be changing. Deer are going to be coming off this crazy rut pattern. They're going to be falling in more of a bed to food pattern. And so it's important to reference your digital maps and your journals that you've kept on hunt stand and just go back and look at where all your action was go back and organize your trail camera picks on hunt stand check the weather check the forecast take a look at the different maps that they have and then put yourself in a position where you start to think about what the deer are going to be doing late season Look at your all your entries on all your documentation on a hunt stand and then put put a game plan together to go out and try to get something done late season. So hunt stand is just a tool for documentation, in my opinion. You know, it's, it's got the awesome satellite imagery that's updated monthly. It has the pro whitetail upgrade package that you can go read on, read about. But really, for me, it is a journal entry. Everything that I do, everything that I see gets documented on hunt stand and that time and, and that way every time i open the app i can reference different pieces of property and i can see where deer are moving where the action is and then go put myself in that action and long story short that's what we want right we want to be in shooting range of a deer and uh hunt stand can definitely help with that so huntstand.com go check it out wasparchery.com man i Man, my, my season's just been crazy this year. I, I shot a buck, and I owe a lot of that success. If you're, if I'm going to point at something that I feel helped me kill that deer, definitely a marginal shot. And I feel that the damage that this wasp broadhead did is the reason I found my buck. He didn't go too far before he bedded down. He bedded down because he was in a lot of pain, and he was his insides were destroyed and be, that was because of the wasp jackhammer three blade broadhead and that's what wasp does they build badass broadheads that destroy tissue in a major way with the some of the best material available in a majority majority of their heads are still made in america so wasparchery.com go check it out i have a 20 percent discount code for you and that is nfc20 go check it out last but not least if you're looking to get in the saddle game go check out tethered they have platforms climbing sticks they got all the saddle hunting accessories that uh that you need and the best part about it is they have a their youtube channel their social media outlets um, a lot of people who are active tethered users are all putting out content that will help make you a better saddle hunter so go check out Tethered, uh, Tethered's website. Tons of great information on, on this product. And I can't wait to 
become better at uh, becoming a saddle hunter. And I, I feel like that's in my future. So uh, go check out Tether. And that's the end of the commercials. Let's just go ahead and quit talking and get into today's episode with the DIY sportsman, Garrett Prawl. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, my sportsman's empire brother, Garrett Prawl of the DIY Sportsman Podcast. How we doing, man? Doing pretty well. How about you? Doing good, man. It sounds like you've had some success this year. Yeah, yeah, it's been a, a pretty good year overall. Yeah. Let's see here. Uh, this year, have you have you hunted more or less or maybe e- maybe equal to previous years? I'd say probably equal so far. Really, the biggest difference between last year and this year is probably going to be the late season time in the woods. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'll be hunting as much late season as I did last year. Yeah. Is that uh, any particular reason for that? Well, last year I had the that Iowa late muzzleloader tag, uh, yeah, and right. I, I hadn't killed a buck by that point yet, so it was pretty much like, you know, scramble mode, trying to get something done before the end of the season. Yeah. Um, but this year I've got we've got enough tag or we got enough venison in the freezer between my deer and, and my wife's deer that I don't really need to hunt per se. So what I think I'll probably do later in December and even into January is just scout. And in some of these seasons where we still have open seasons, I'll be carrying a muzzleloader or whatever else. But, you know, the primary focus will be boots on the ground and just learning new areas. And so if something pops up, you shoot it. Yep. Nice. That's a good way to do it. And I actually, I just got off the phone with a guy where we were talking about uh, you know, like consistent success. You know, he, this guy's been on a roll for a handful of years. I've, I've been on a roll for a handful of years, and and we pretty much just kind of exchanged what we felt has led to the, this consistent success. And we both talked about late season scouting being like how you learn or how hunters learn the most about the terrain that these deer live in. Yeah, and different hunting pressure cycles yeah. you don't really learn that when you're scouting in march say as much as you do when there's actually trucks in the parking lot and right you know, all that hunter signs fresh yeah yeah that's a that's a fact that's something that i don't ever take into consideration because the the hunting pressure remains the same other than other than when they start to do the deer drives on the farms that i hunt the 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 pressure kind of is just consistent throughout the whole year it's not like all of a sudden boom there's pressure except for when they start deer, doing the deer drives but then that clears the farms that i hunt out and the deer just don't come back until spring mm. so it's hard to it's hard to i don't know scout for deer when there's no <laughs> when there's no deer <laughs> right so, exactly so all right so i want to talk about like i want to name this the title of this podcast something along the lines of same but different and what i mean by that is you shot a deer in wisconsin this year you shot a deer in uh north dakota this year and roughly around the same time frame i mean we're talking about the rut time frame we're talking about a 10-day window and i want to i want to talk to you about what these deer were doing that were the same what they were doing that was probably different the 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 terrain that was different maybe the same, uh, their behavior. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All yep. right, cool. All right. So, and so what, what buck did you shoot first? 
The Wisconsin one. The Wisconsin one. Okay, and that was November 12th, you said? Yep. Okay. All right, so is this an area that you've hunted before a lot or a little or what? Yeah, I've hunted a fair bit in the past, and I've put a lot of time into it, mm-hmm. more so than a lot of other places in that state. So I would say I'm highly familiar with especially that piece that I was hunting on. Okay. And what do you like about this property? It gives enough habitat for deer to get away from hunters. There's, there's no way, like in the example you, you laid out before, there's no way to just blow all the deer out of the place. Gotcha. They're always going to be able to find good cover, and they're always going to be able to escape some of the rifle pressure. Gotcha. And so with it being Wisconsin, are we talking along the Mississippi River Valley where it's like really terrainy and real, like the potential for steep inclines? No, pretty flat. Pretty it's, flat, uh, okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. For, a little further north than the state, a little bit deeper into the state, and uh, yeah, you get you get some little like marshes and swamps and clear cuts and little like lightly rolling hills, but nothing super steep. Gotcha. And so what this does is, but it sounds like the deer always have a place to escape to, to feel comfortable in. Yep. All right. Cool. All right. Now, the the let's let's go to North Dakota. All right. Talk to us a little bit about the terrain that the. Uh, of the area that you were hunting in South or North Dakota. So again, pretty flat in this area, uh, a fair bit of agriculture around. And I would say most of it is wood lots of various sizes, right? You get some tree rows that separate some of these ag fields, but then you get areas where there's just bigger chunks of timber, mm-hmm. but it's still mostly flat. And uh, I would say that this place probably has less of the, the thicker cover maybe, but it also just seems like the hunting habits during the rifle season out there are a little bit different than you would get in say Wisconsin. Um, so I think that played a, a bit of a role as well. Um, but it's pretty much just a, you know, big flatwood lot. Yeah. And this, it was all, was it also rifle season when you shot your North Dakota buck? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're talking, you shot your deer in Wisconsin and in uh, North Dakota with a bow during the rifle seasons, right? So there was an ample amount of pressure already being put on both deer herds. Well, the Wisconsin one wasn't yet, but the oh, okay. Dakota one was. Okay. Yep. When, when did the Wisconsin uh, gun season kick off? Um, this year, it would have been the 19th. The 19th, okay. All right. So that that was a little bit different then, right? Yeah, okay. but the North Dakota one, by contrast, had been open, I think, since the 4th or the 5th. Oh, okay. All right. So... We have two different states. It sounds like, uh, it sounds like there, there's more. Would would this be an accurate statement? There's more cover in the Wisconsin property compared to the North Dakota property. Yeah, I'd say so. Okay, was uh, w- was there more deer density in Wisconsin than there was North Dakota? Ah, uh, that's kind of tough to say. I don't know enough about the North Dakota spot specifically. Because obviously once the crops come out, those deer start to condense a little bit more than they would in the area that I was in Wisconsin. Yeah. The Wisconsin area, it's a little more consistent throughout the, the course of the year. So it'd be tough for me to, to really say, but I would say they're maybe similar. Okay. What did you, what did you see when you were out there in North Dakota? Um, a lot of, a lot of emptiness when you're just driving around on the roads. <laughs> That's a fact. Right. Just snow across every field and 90% of the stuff you drive past, it's like, there's no deer out here. Yeah. Um, and even when the snow had been around for several days. Uh, but what it also seemed to be a little bit more so than in Wisconsin was you had 
it seemed like a large majority of the people that were gun hunting were primarily driving the roads. And I know a lot of guys too, that have land might have, you know, tower stands like they do in every state that yeah. they would hunt out of. But it seemed like in the places I spot checked, if you were just driving past, you would have no idea that the deer were there. Yeah. But if you got in and scouted 50, 100, 200 yards away from the road, okay, now we can start to see tracks. And, and so that was kind of what I was doing um, when I first arrived there. It was just spot, getting out of the truck and spot checking a few of the areas I'd scouted or hunted in the past. Okay. All right. All right. So um, let's talk a little bit about the deer behavior in both of these spots during this time frame that you were there. What was the same and what was different? Uh, probably the similar biggest similarity is just the, the timing around the rut Yeah, and between the 12th and the 20th. I mean, in both of those States, I think the peak conception is like the 15th or so. Yeah. So within a week on either direction of that. So, you know, close to the top of the bell curve there. So I think that's definitely one similarity. Obviously I think the deer generally act a little bit different on the front end than it went on the back end. Uh, but I was really focusing on, I guess, that aspect of deer movement that there's probably going to be does that are actively in heat and that might hold some of those bucks the bigger bucks especially down a little bit longer but if i spend time in the treatment in the right spot i might have an opportunity and certainly in either scenario there's going to be younger bucks that are probably walking around if they're not ultra pressured yeah and so you know with it being that with, with it being that time of year when you ended up getting into the stand well let me back up a bit because my experience is i feel like the deer out west in these flatter environments with less cover are they they hold i don't know i want to hear your opinion on this they hold tighter to cover longer than let's say your your traditional midwestern egg field timber lot type de- buck what what would you say on that i'd say during the <clears throat> during the rifle season especially that's probably true yeah uh, i just think road hunt from what i've seen and this very you know small sample size opinion um it seems like you just have better ability to road hunt out there with the the different laws that are yeah. in place yeah and Maybe, you know, South Dakota and Kansas, whatever else are different. I'm not really sure, but it seems like at least for deer, they're visible from the road, probably less likely than you, than you might get in the Midwest. Yeah. But in terms of like ultra thick cover versus like transition cover, maybe similar for okay. what I've seen. Okay. And so then when you were at, when you were in the tree for, uh, you know, on, on both of these hunts, was the deer, like as far as the time of day, was the deer movement similar or different it actually was i would say a little bit different and some of this too is just based off of historical um trail cam data that i have especially on the wisconsin side but okay. this time of year i was seeing more and maybe the weather had a factor too i was seeing more morning movement and it was almost like if i got to like noon or one o'clock and i stuck it out till then like there was still that chance <clears throat> that i'd have a buck come walking by but it seemed like much less likely of an opportunity of seeing movement in the tree from like two o'clock to the end of the day, but morning, you know, 8 AM, 9 AM, 10 AM, all, you know, could be great opportunities. Whereas it seemed like, um, on the, the North Dakota piece, it, it might've been more, I guess, midday. Um, you know, there was a, a year in the past where I left a, a camera out and picked it up late season, uh, to get some of that rut timing, just to see like what it was, what was happening. And it did seem like midday was, was very 
common as well, especially on the uh, kind of that middle period of the rut and the later rut. Like uh, if I had a deer that would show up on like, let's say the 24th, he comes walking through. Yeah. It was probably a midday occurrence. Okay. So the later into the rut, the the more midday movement you were starting to see. Yeah, it seemed to be the case. Okay. Did did that just mean more movement in general or were you just did you have more evening and morning uh uh movement as well with more midday movement? It didn't necessarily seem to be linked per se. It seemed like when you had that midday movement, it was like maybe that was the only deer that came through, maybe there was six does that had come by earlier in the morning and, you know, two younger bucks. Okay. Uh, it, it seemed like one of those, like I, I couldn't pinpoint exactly why the deer moved through that area on that specific day, other than maybe he had just gotten off a doe and he was looking for his next one. Yeah. Um, but it, it seemed like weather overall generally had a pretty big uh, factor in how much overall movement you saw. Yeah. During the day. And was that consist was that consistent on on both places? Yeah, yeah. We had finally gotten good weather in Wisconsin. It had been really hot for early November and late October. And then we finally got a decent cold front to get temperatures down into the twenties. And that kick, and North that kick started it. Yeah, it, it really seemed to. And yeah. then in, uh, in North Dakota, it, it was supposed to be a lot colder. Um, I lucked out a little bit. I think it was 17 degrees. Um, okay. when I got into the woods that morning. Okay. And so that then, uh, and so you feel that those colder temperatures really did get the deer moving more. Same too. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so, uh, when you were out there, I mean, did you, did you guys, or did you witness any chasing? Uh, was it still, and, and so here's what I learned this year on, on one of the farms that I hunt, man, do I think on some of the farms that I hunt, it is still pre rut type activity. I mean, I was seeing doe groups, big doe groups, mature does by themselves. I was seeing like bucks just not necessarily cruising all day, but by themselves, not taking interest in any does quite yet. And so that pre-rut type activity led all the way up until, man, I want to say, man, I want to say like November 6th and 7th. And so traditionally when people say, when does the rut start? They're like, oh, it starts November 1st. But I wasn't seeing any type of rutting activity until after that. So uh, were you seeing any pre-rut or was this full-blown rut activity? I didn't see as much pre-rut as I saw the year prior. And I I think part of that may be due to some of the deer that were in the area I was hunting last year either got killed or or they shifted their home range or or something because there was some deer that did not show up that I was absolutely expecting to show up. Yeah. Um, So I think that was part of it. But yeah, I think just like you, overall, I saw more general deer movement, you know, bed to food, you know, early morning, um, late evening type movement until that big uh, cold snap hit in Wisconsin. Um, and that was when I started to see more of the quote unquote traditional rut activity, um, you know, where you had, you know, bucks just cruising around and, and maybe harassing does and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, now when it comes to the post rut now you mentioned you said this year you're probably just going to go out and do some scouting take a gun with you just in case but you're going to go do some scouting um what are some things that you've learned from these late season scouts that have helped you 
the the following season, whether it's during the rut or during the late the next late season. Well, if there's snow, then what I see on the ground directly correlates to the next year's late season. It seems like if there's not snow on the ground, which like when I did that muzzleloader trip last year in Iowa, yeah. the whole like first week there was no snow. And the ground was frozen, so I would see tracks in the in the ground. It's like, well, this, this could be weeks old. That's just locked in and frozen. And any, any sign that was getting left was not necessarily indenting the ground the same way that it would if the ground was not frozen. So right. that made it very difficult. And I was like, it almost it almost seemed more like a spring scouting trip because a lot of the rut sign was still locked in. And it was really easy to see. Yeah. But then the next week, once the snow hit, it was totally different. Okay, now here I can see what the deer are doing right now. And, and so that plays a big piece of it um, is whether or not there's actively snow on the ground, presuming the ground is frozen. Yeah. All right. And and then do you do the same style? Are you going back to North Dakota to scout this way as well this year? I don't know that I will late season, um, but I, I probably will make a spring scouting trip out there. Yeah. Um, I, I felt like I did a, a fair amount of postseason scouting this year, uh, but I, I also feel like it wasn't enough. So I'm going to try and double down a little bit this next year and, and hit all the states that I plan on hunting next year in more detail and try to cast a little bit wider net than I had this year. Gotcha. All right. So um, I want to talk now in generality, I guess in general, um, I want to talk about uh, maybe deer behavior overall, and maybe we'll cycle through, you know, just your experience, uh, you know, in all these different states that you've hunted. Um, and one thing that you've noticed, and it can be early season, it can be late season, it could be post season or, you know, summer, summertime. What are some things that you have witnessed from a deer behavior standpoint that deer tend to do the same? Well, at least in the upper Midwest here, it seems like the, the most consistent things that I C would be, you know, like that mid-October time frame. They start leaving sign. You start to see some some bucks change in their their core areas. It seems like that's the case in all you know three of the states I hunt most often. They start to daylight more if, as long as you got good weather late October, mm-hmm. and then the November time frame. That's when I start to see the most differences. Um, so I would say just like leading up to and right up, you know, against the firearm season openers. Yep. I see a lot of similarities in how those different deer um, deer herds behave. Yeah. And that seems to also be the case across different habitat types. Yeah. Yeah. And then when it comes to that, you know, in, in certain parts of Wisconsin, you mentioned there's some marshes uh, and there's some, you know, some bigger timber. Uh, you also mentioned out, out in North Dakota, um, you know, the, they, they do, or there's it's more wide open right with you know just little little wood lots or or fence rows or or tree lines or you know tree rows or something like that is now i know obviously the terrain itself and the the environment is different but from a a buck doing buck things like making scrapes and making rubs and maybe bed to food patterns is there one thing that one or multiple things that stick out to you of, of, Hey, they do it completely different this way than they do over here. Maybe not so much in the what, but the how, like if you got uh, hill country terrain versus flat marshy terrain, 
versus wide open ag country where they can see yeah. across pick crop fields. I think the commonality is that they're going to want to stay hidden or they're going to want to, you know, stay away from pressure. How yeah. they do that seems to vary just based on what the habitat around them is like. Yeah. 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 Anything else from a, uh, a same or, you know, a same or different that you've identified throughout the years that, you know, like, and maybe we'll even talk about time of year, right? Where, um, a, you know, a, a group of deer will do this thing the same all the way up until this time of year, but then they'll do it different for a, a period of time, then go back or I don't know, something like that. It seems like from a late season perspective, one thing I've noticed is that the later a state has gun seasons going, it seems like it takes longer for that, that deer herd to start acting like quote unquote normal. Yeah. Um, and, and to where you can start to just kind of lay back and, and really get a really predictable pattern again before the season is up. Whereas, you know, some of these like Southern Minnesota, they got the CWD hunts where you got shotgun hunts basically going through mid December. And then and they had started back in like the first week of November. Um, and so that seems to, to change things a little bit in terms of how long it might take for a deer to get back to a daylight movement pattern before yeah. the season ends, which is December 31st. Yeah. So you get the odds stack way against you yeah. versus a Wisconsin that might have an extended archery out to January 31st. Okay. Well, you know, the time of the year makes a huge difference. That season's open an extra month. There's not a lot of guys hunting that extra month. Um, and one thing I've noticed too, that late November timeframe, a lot of the guys, especially, you know, people that hunt in Iowa, I listen to that will say that Thanksgiving week can be magical. And, Growing up in Wisconsin, I never really noticed that much, but their gun season always comes in like, you know, the 16th through the 20th. Yeah. Um, but what I have noticed through either running cameras in, in uh, Minnesota or what I've started to learn a little bit in like the Western states as well is that the gun seasons, either not having as many people partake in them or just having different, you know, cultural norms yeah. or how early that gun season comes in and then stops like in, in Minnesota, I've seen the Thanksgiving week be better than it would be in Wisconsin. And I think that's because a lot of that gun pressure hits really hard that first week in November and into the second week in November, but then it kind of lays off a little bit. And like I said, there's still guys that'll hunt those extended seasons and the, you know, CWD and whatever else, but that third week in November, there's probably not going to be as many, nearly as many guys in the woods as there was the first week in November. And so that third week seems like it could have a boost. Yeah. It's not as good as, you know, prime rut in most states, but in terms of getting maybe that one opportunity out of the, out of the year that you're looking for, like it seems like it's more likely to happen in a state like that. Right. So in Iowa, you know, we have the the two shotgun seasons and there's a ton of pressure uh, that happens when everybody starts doing the deer drives. What's, what state uh, and you can use it just in this year or you can use it through all the states that you've hunted in, in, in your opinion. What state or, or areas do you feel the deer herd is impacted the greatest by the opening of a gun season? I'd say probably the the more open, either open ag where it's maybe 80% ag, 20% woods yeah, or even like prairie. Uh, like Southwest Minnesota is a good example uh, where it's just wide open. Yeah. And if you got guys that are doing deer drives in those woodlots, there's not a whole, whole lot of places those deer can hide. 
And uh, I think that plays a much bigger impact than if you were to, to say, go into some place that's a big marsh or swamp, you know, got eight foot high cattails and, and places where those deer can get away from other hunters. Yeah. Obviously a lot of those deer, I think, you know, with enough pressure, you can do a lot of damage. Um, but even like 300 foot bluffs, like, especially if you got buckthorn or something on a hillside that protects those deer a lot more than they during those firearm seasons with heavy pressure than they would be protected in a, a wide open area. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, and so what's on the docket for next year? You said you're going to try to uh, cast a wider net. What States are you planning on hunting? So actually in, in January, I'm going to be going down to Alabama for the first time. To, oh, nice. To, I'll be yeah doing a hunt with a Spartan forage crew for the, the veterans hunt that they yes. uh, are doing the giveaway on. Yes. And then, so that'll be a first for me and that should be fun. Um, I don't really know a whole lot of the details quite yet, but that's been a hunt that I've been wanting to do for quite a while. Um, but then likely going into the remainder of the hunting season, it'll probably be very similar to this year because I felt like in contact or in uh, comparison to the years prior, I felt like I had more control this year, last couple of years, I had spread myself out a little bit too thin, too many tags, too many States. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really starting to iron in that I need to hunt this state this time of year, then, th- then move to yeah. this state this time of year. Yeah. Um, and to kind of work through that progression and just kind of compartmentalize the the hunting season a little bit better. The one oddball that I m- may do, and I have to make a decision here the next week probably is I've got a ton of black bear points for Wisconsin. Like okay. I should, should easily draw. So I've been trying to figure out when I would do that. And maybe it's going to be th- this next year. Yeah. When do you, uh, so as far as black bear are concerned, uh, do you hunt, uh, like, do you hunt whitetails in black bear areas already in Wisconsin? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, in, I think September this year, I had more bears on camera than I did deer. Wow. So you, you have a good idea of where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any giant bear? Uh, I think the biggest one I saw this year was, was probably in like the maybe 250, 275 range. Okay. There was one last year that was probably pushing 300, Yeah. but they can get much bigger. Uh, and I think the average, I, I can't remember where I read this or heard this, but I think the average black bear, I think they get shot is in the neighborhood of like the same size as a whitetail, like 150 okay. to 200 pounds. Gotcha. Dressed. Um, but obviously they can get much bigger, but it takes a lot of years. I think generally to get a boar that's, that's, you know, four or 500 pounds. Yeah. And is that a baiting scenario where you, you start a bait site or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really interesting hunting some of these areas that have more black bears. It, it's really rare for still for me to see them in the tree. I've seen a couple of them in the tree just naturally, but they're very non-patternable from what I've seen. Okay. They just kind of roam. Um, and if you look at the, the camera data, the daylight a ton in some of these areas like a lot of times when you when you think of, when you talk to people who bait black bears it's like right at the last light they'll come in right unless there's a lot of bears around there's a lot of competition um or if you have guys that have bears in cornfields that's like a little bit different scenario but if you just got these big giant swamps and big woods habitat yeah. uh, i was really surprised to learn just how often those deer are moving in in daylight um so that'll be something i'll i'll probably look at as well but I think most likely the plan just based off of, you know, the amount of time that I'll have and what to put into that hunt um, compared to the deer hunting, uh, plus just being able to keep tabs in a lot of different places and cast a pretty wide net. I would probably be doing baiting just like, you know, 95% of the other guys are in that, uh, that area of the state. I guess there's, there's dog hunting as well, but I feel like I'd, I'd have a little bit more control over my own destiny with, with bait. Yeah. 
absolutely. That's interesting, man. Uh, you know, the, every once in a while you hear, uh, you'll hear guys talk about uh, a bear, you know, in northern Iowa. They'll say, oh, man, I, you know, we had a bear sighting or a bear on trail camera or something like that. But down here this year in uh, southern Iowa, there has been, like, there was a mountain lion caught on trail camera less than a mile from where I live on uh, out on it's actually one of my wife's friends farms uh, her and her husband own a little acreage out there and they had a uh i think it was an immature it was immature uh like a like a, a young mountain lion and then down where i was hunting this year in south central iowa just like every county had multiple sightings of them and so i don't know man that's that's crazy how these animals can just you know, fluctuate from one area to the next. And when I mean one area, I mean like that the the one collar tracked mountain lion came from the suburbs of Denver all the way uh, through, I want to say, Nebraska and then made its way to uh, western Iowa. That's wow. the whole state of Nebraska in a, in a year. And so that that to me is crazy that an animal will just – We'll do that over the course of a year. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah. So, well, man, I wanted to keep this uh, podcast uh, pretty short and sweet, Garrett. So I really do appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, hop on and uh, BS with us a little bit. Uh, Good luck uh, during your Alabama hunt and any late uh, season activities that you're doing. And uh, again, thanks for your time, man. Yeah, absolutely. Good talking to you, Dan. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Please go to iTunes, leave a five-star review for me. Please go to Instagram. Please go to Facebook. Make sure you guys are following along. And then also make sure that you are subscribed on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast so that when the time comes for another episode to launch, the only thing you have to do is uh, open up your phone and hit the play button. And uh, huge shout-out to Tethered. Huge shout-out to Wasp. Hunt Stand Vortex. Huge shout out to Garrett for taking time out of his day. And huge shout out to all of you for continuing to support the Nine Finger Chronicles after all these years, man. I, I really appreciate that. So good vibes in, good vibes out. Wear your safety harness, and we'll talk to you next time.